Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Demolition in Devon for Norwich City, a 6-2 defeat to Plymouth Argyle and one that very few people saw coming after what's been largely a pretty positive start to the championship campaign. It's now three defeats in four and there are some serious questions for Norwich City to answer. We will attempt to pick through the wreckage of that kamikaze defeat at Home Park yesterday on the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I'm your host, Connor Southwell, joined by Paddy Davitt and Sam Seaman. Uh, Paddy, I mean, where, where where do we start? I had, a, I had a moment this morning where I opened my eyes and thought, oh, goodness me, it, it was six, wasn't it? And it was, it was that bad. Um, how on earth did that happen? I, I, don't, I don't really know how else to start the pod beyond, beyond asking you that, really. Well, I mean, it's going to be very hard to find the right answers um, because it's so far removed from, what was it, six or seven games the other side of Rotherham. And even Rotherham, you know, second half, we didn't see that. We didn't see we didn't see that in the first half, despite it being very, very poor, to paraphrase David Wagner, that first half at Rotherham. Um, Leicester, Stoke, no issues at all in terms of the fundamentals and Norwich's structure and individuals within that structure, but uh, you know you don't have to go to David Wagner's phraseology after Saturday's game. They lost their heads. You could say it was it was just that uh, spell in the first half stoppage time, but I think you could broaden it out. They just collectively unravelled uh, and individuals within that as well, and we'll get we'll get into it in, in more forensic detail, but. So far removed from the body of work up to and including, you know, Plymouth uh, kickoff because, as I say, Rotherham wasn't that far removed from what had gone before uh, or what came after it. Yes, it was a stodgy, unacceptably anemic first half at Rotherham, but that now comparable to what what unfolded at Home Park, four 0 down at half time, two goals in two or two minutes was it two or three stoppage time minutes. Um, a complete abdication of any responsibility. And uh, that now does pose some serious questions just because the championship will find you out. You know, that is the beauty of this league. If you are good enough and ahead of the curve, as Norwich have been twice before in recent years under Daniel Farker and a different set of players, albeit, um, then you can you can prove, prove that over the duration of 46 league games. But if it goes the other way and... You are vulnerable and teams know that and can expose that and um, and they don't rectify it, more importantly, which is probably where we're going to get to now as we as we move through this podcast and on into, you know, we'll skip over Fulham because that's going to be a unique game in terms of the selection policy, clearly that League Cup tie. But certainly when Birmingham rock up at uh, Carrow Road next Saturday, as it will be now, if they don't correct what we saw visibly, um, at Plymouth, then it will be another another 
uncomfortable watch and more questions and more frustration and more anger externally, internally. So, you know, it isn't too um, exaggerated, I don't think, to, to state that we're now at the crossroads for this season uh, as early as it is because yesterday was so unacceptably below par and and the elements that go into making a team who can compete at the top six end of the table so far removed from that that you have to really pose some some stinging questions about is this head coach is this coaching staff around him is this group of players good enough now to sustain it's all right doing it in a clump of six or seven games as they, as they did at the start of this season commendably and they got all the plays praise and applaud it's rightly for what they were doing in and out of possession um the issues that we thought had gone away at the back end of last season had been rectified that's all on hold now because what we saw at Plymouth um, poses more questions than answers. And if they cannot rectify this and if it doesn't get consigned to a blip in terms of three defeats in four and they get past this and ride it out and come out the other side, then um, I think in very short order, we will we will realise that um, a lot of the good processes that were put in place or we thought were good processes and good recruitment um, – we're not quite as as sold in the first six or seven games of this season. And then everybody around Norwich in and outside the club will have to deal with what that reality looks like then moving forward. So, you know, I don't think it is knee-jerk to go down that route because what we saw to concede six goals, four in the first half, in such ridiculously um, compliant fashion is really, I think, worthy of talking in those terms that the season now for me the season now is in the balance because you can go to Plymouth a team who've won 22 from 26 previously at home park this season or this calendar year sorry that fueled their league one title win and you can go and you can get you can get beat because it's a very tough place to go even this season in the championship I think they've won two was it out of three at home um no disgrace in that but there is a disgrace in a surrender on that scale. And, and that's why, you know, to, in this podcast, we, we will have to really cut to the, to the knob of the matter. And um, more importantly, so will David Wagner and his coaching staff. They're back in today. We're recording this Sunday morning at Colney. Then they got back uh, in reasonable order on their nice plane journey back to uh, back to uh, East Anglia. Um, but they're back in at Colney this morning. And the post-mortem, without wanting to sort of lapse into hyperbole. That will have to be uh, swift and underway now, probably, as we record this. Uh, and then I'll have to find the answers because it has to come from within that group of players and that coaching staff. And if they can't find the answers, then uh, strap yourselves in because it's going to get a bit rocky. Yeah, and, and I think that, that that point you make is 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 an important one. It, it is in the grand scheme of things one result. I, I would I would argue actually that there have made not signs that it was going to blow up to this epic proportion. But you mentioned the Rotherham game for second half against Stoke, they were uh, not particularly great, but defended quite well. Um, but as we said, had it been for for Dwight Gale connecting with a shot in stoppage time, that would have been a, a draw rather than than a win. Um, they they were pretty poor in the in the first half against Leicester albeit I think by common consensus much much better in the second half um so there have maybe been halves of football where they've where they've been poor but to to put this in in context this is the first time that Norwich have have conceded um six goals 
essentially in, in the championship since 1996. It's the first time they've done it outside of the Premier League since that uh, 7-1 defeat to Colchester. I mean, these are these are just it's 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 so bad. It's it's untrue. And I mean, I keep coming back to the quotes. I mean, I stood in front of Kenny McLean yesterday, and it's always difficult for a player to come out and to. Uh, speak after a result like that because you know and I know that and they know that fans don't really want to hear what they're saying um, and and ultimately it's actions but I want to read some of the words that he said because they're very strong and a lot stronger than than David Wagner went I think and a lot stronger than quite a few other Norwich City players would have gone so this is this is a quote from from a chat he had with with myself and and Chris Gorham um, at Radio Norfolk he said some of it is unexplainable and inexcusable it was the worst performance since I've been at this club uh, that I've been a part of or that I've seen in all aspects it was a shambles to lose four goals in the first half and six all in is embarrassing really for the people that we have in that changing room it's a tough one to take and we deserve everything that comes our way right now we don't deserve the support that uh, they've given us the fans and it is one that is going to be there for a while we need to learn uh, from it when you come here and play into Plymouth's hands you get punished for the unforced errors and mistakes a tough afternoon and he went on to um to talk about the start of the season and he said it's it's uh, the start of the season is gone we, we had a couple of good results and people got carried away forget that forget it there's work to be done uh, we need to come in tomorrow Sunday and work hard because that was that was not acceptable and I guess that that point about the characters in the dressing room Sam is is the one for me that I keep coming back to because this happened last year Norwich got beat 5-1 by Middlesbrough in April and, and the mitigation, the excuses given were, well, it's a young group. It didn't have the insulation of experience. This was a Norwich City team that had Ben Gibson, Shane Duffy, Kenny McLean, Adam Forshaw came on at half time, had players in there with huge amounts of experience at championship level and at levels higher. And, and the problem that I that I have is when, when a team shows you it has this in it, it's very rare that it pops up just once it creates a, a lack of trust, doesn't it, from the fans towards this 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 team and this group of players because they know that a performance like that is now possible. We've seen it, uh, it's there, and it's going to be very hard to get away from. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And it did feel like things had turned a corner this season. And although I don't think anyone expected Norwich to be competing at the top end of the Championship consistently, I think even when... There was such a positive start. It was still whispered quite quietly. Those that felt automatic places could be competed for, but it did feel like this was a team that was slightly more streetwise, slightly more insulated against days like yesterday. Um, and now they've shown that they're just as prone to to those events as the team was last season. It, it's a a really damaging one when you look at that experience because, as you say, I think the main mitigation around that loss to Middlesbrough last season was. Andrew Amabamadele and, and Jakob Sorensen at the heart of defence, a, a duo that hadn't played often together and that were both young and inexperienced in that position. And then you look at a centre-back duo of Shane Duffy and, and Ben Gibson, obviously in midfield with, with Kenny McLean in it. And I think that just exposes how poor they were, especially the game management towards the end of that first half. I'd throw Angus Gunn in there. I know he's maybe not as, not got as many games or as many top flight years under the belt as some of those players do have but I think he's he's 27 now and there was one moment when he had the ball in his hands I think at 2-0 and um, rather than calming things down with wave after wave of Plymouth attack coming and the Norwich defence looking very exposed 
he rushed to the edge of his penalty area and sent it long to absolutely nobody in, in gifted possession, straight back to the home side. And I think the way that they managed those last few minutes of the first half was where it really all came undone. Players like, like Shane Duffy and Ben Gibson at the heart of defence should be able to manage things and realise that you don't need to go chasing chasing it with two minutes left of the half and 2-0 down. Get in at half-time, maybe let the manager change things and change things within your group. But they've gone from 2-0 to 4-0 almost inexplicably just from their own lack of concentration, maybe their own over-eagerness to get back into the game. And that game management was was so, so poor um, from those players. And they've, they've lost the game there and they've lost their heads. And I think that's probably the period Wagner was referring to when he looked at that. But when you um, you were reading out those quotes from, from McLean, what stood out to me, besides all the honest admissions, which I think were a good thing post-match, was the, the phrase unforced errors. And having watched the highlights back this morning, that was what it was all about. So many just poor passes where they didn't have any ideas. There wasn't much movement and players are trying to force things um, and, and losing the ball in key areas, but also how exposed they look. If you're a Plymouth player at any point in that game, really, as soon as you receive the ball, you're probably two or three passes away from a, a, a one-on-one situation with a defender in the in the Norwich half. And Norwich didn't look insulated against the counter-attack whatsoever. I think that was an area of Wagner highlighted in his press conference. He said he felt that this season Norwich have been insulated against those counter-attacks and that the way they've played, they've been able to do that because they've defended so well when they've lost the ball. But it was the absolute opposite against Plymouth. I don't know where the midfield was for half that game because every time they tried to play the ball forward and lost possession, Plymouth were already in a really dangerous situation, even on the edge of their own box at times in that second half. You felt there was a good chance they were going to go and score from there. So, um, some tactical areas to improve, certainly some mentality and game management areas to improve. And it's going to be a really, really difficult task for David Wagner to pick up the pieces from this because, as you say, that trust has now been lost a little bit. And um, I think they're entering a critical period where probably people are feeling quite pessimistic for the first time this season. It's um, it, that That's an interesting point. And... and, and... Paddy, I, I mean, to get your thoughts on it, because the whole idea of the, the summer recruitment was to prevent results like this from happening. That's why they, they decided to sign five players over the age of, of 30 with obviously Fashnacht and uh, I think George Long, who, who will be 30 by the end of the year. It was it was a it was a, a deliberate shift and it was one that was designed to ensure that that mentality was better, that results like this weren't capable, that um, the team weren't. Um, able to produce performances like that. Pre-match, David Wagner was speaking about how important it was to avoid a Rotherham situation again, where uh, you know there's been talk of complacency and all of the issues that was in around that first half display that effectively lost them the game. Which begs the question: with, with, with all of that, with all of that experience, all of that um, attempt to inject some mentality in the dressing room, how have Norwich City, for the first time in over a decade, conceded more than more than six goals outside of the Premier League? Well, I mean, you know, you can talk about mentality all you want, but if Shane Duffy for the third goal um, can't put a ball out of play, what, it doesn't matter about mentality. It's just rank bad individual errors. If if for the fourth goal that, and, and then rolling on the third goal, what happened then was Ryan Hardy retrieves it, keeps it in play, squares it to Whitaker, who... 
I mean, he's, he's must have 10 yards of space. And then you've got Duffy and Gibson, um, like pulling a, court, a horse and trap, trying to get to close him down. Um, two experienced players. They should have immediately sensed danger when that ball got recycled. Duffy for the fourth goal. What on earth is he doing? Backed into the box by the, the excellent Finn and Azaz, uh, Villa Loney. Um, but an experienced player to be so off balance um, as he was. And I would question Gunn for that goal. If you look at the highlights, it's gone in in the middle of the goal, very slow to get down. Um, and maybe even the, the, the goal before, you know, that there was a lot of power on it, a lot of accuracy, but, you know, it came from a long way out. So, and you know, if we want to roll it on, it's not, it's not, it's not a let's kick the two centre-backs because Kenny McLean and Zara, what are they doing? What are they doing on the first goal? Gibson's header. More up than out, to be honest, but not a second ball challenge. You've got Zara behind, I think it was Rendell, who, who actually meets the ball. McLean is ball watching. Um, Zara gives the ball away for the fourth goal, if you, if you watch that. For sure, an experienced player, fits in that bracket in terms of summer recruitment, gives the ball away for the fifth goal. Then Duffy tries to jump out um, and leaves a hole in behind. Gibson doesn't spot the runner, Whitaker. I mean, honestly... Experienced players playing really, really poorly. So it doesn't matter about if they went into the market in the summer to supplement what they had in terms of experience uh, to address this mentality issue. If individual players are going to, young or old, are going to play as poorly as they did yesterday, and in that volume of players, because we've talked, you know, four or five players, but you could throw plenty of others into the mix, then it doesn't matter about. Mentality. It doesn't matter about um, we're not, we're not going to see that type of implosion again. It, it just really, to me, you know, worryingly highlights certainly in the central defensive areas um, a lack of athleticism, a, a lack of intensity and energy. In terms of can those players go again two or three days after, four days after, after they put in such a shift against Leicester at Car Road? high-octane second half at Carrow Road, led by Duffy, to be honest, that night. Um, this now poses for me a, a bigger issue about can those more experienced, older players, can they go again? Because the relentlessness that Plymouth approached the task, and worth pointing out, of course, Whitaker, uh, Hardy, Mumba, they were players who didn't feature in their midweek game. Schumacher made seven changes for the Bristol City game. And they got hammered at Bristol City, but boy, did it pay off on Saturday. So is this now a squad management issue, which then gets into the, maybe the lack of other resources and all other alternatives for David in certain areas of his team? But it looked yesterday um, a very ageing group of players before our very eyes, not able to handle the intensity and the youth and the, the power and the drive in forward areas from Plymouth. And given we know the schedule in the championship is certainly in clumps, but over the entirety of the season, it is that, can you go again three days later? Can you go again? Then if they can't go again, then we're going to be back here again. And and because they couldn't physically go with the levels that Plymouth attained. And, uh, you know, even the sixth goal, um, you know, you're five to up, it's 96 minutes on the clock. And Luke Cundall is flying out of his own half to get on the end of that cross from uh, Bundu, I think it is. Um, that intensity and that drive, even at 5-2 up with the game long since won. Um, didn't see any of that from Norwich at all. So, you know, I'm, I'm not really having that the, they addressed the mentality issue in the summer um, because the evidence from what we saw in that first half was 
no. Um, it's less, for me, a mentality issue. It's more physical output. Can these players play at the level that these other teams, and particularly a young, hungry, up-and-coming side like Plymouth, are able to get to? And if they can't, then it's going to be more uncomfortable days ahead with this group of players. Unless, I mean, obviously, Danny Bart, if we narrow the focus to the central defensive areas, Danny Bart will now come into the equation, I'm sure. Um, but, you know... It's not a huge different amount of options he's got to freshen it up with, is it, ultimately? So it will have to be the group of players who largely were on display at home park. And, um, yeah, that, that's my key takeaway, really, from it all is do they have – have they now tipped too far in terms of the age and profile of this squad to be able to relentlessly go again three days later and maintain the energy output that they showed commendably against Leicester at Cairo? And, and I think that's a very point I made. I can't remember what podcast it was, but uh, there was one about, uh, it would have been earlier in the season in that good run. And I posed the question of, well, the, the big task is going to be whether they can sustain it. And uh, particularly with the type of players they, they have, because you think about how David Wagner wants to play high energy, um, aggressiveness. It doesn't really equate to signing players who are in that stage of their career not to be disrespectful you get some very very good physical players and I think all of them have shown so far they can contribute it's whether they can do that over a prolonged period as you as you say Paddy and I guess Sam it what what Paddy has probably said there poses questions about the the depth of the squad doesn't it because uh, I spoke to Shane Duffy after after the game uh, against Leicester in midweek and he himself admitted and, and said uh, we need to make changes. We're going to need to make changes. We can't play at the intensity that, that we are without making changes. The energy levels will drop. Um, and lo and behold, I think there was only two changes made, one of which was Adam Eder, who played the majority of that Leicester game anyway, because Ashley Barnes limped off injured. Um, it, it showed, didn't it? Is, is there a squad depth issue now at, at Norwich? The, the options that they have, I mean, it doesn't necessarily feel and as we say they've lost a couple of players to injury but even when they've been making substitutions in games and again this has been a, I remember us speaking about this right at the start of the season when they have made substitutions in games the collective performance level has dropped does that suggest that there's a depth issue in, in, in this team and in this squad yeah I think we've been seeing suggestions of their lack of squad depth all season really as you said I remember talking after they beat Millwall 3-1 um, which feels a long, long time ago now already, about the drop-off that there was there. And it's easy to talk about how a lot of changes within a game can can upset a team. But I think even when you were looking at things at the start of the game, every bench that we've looked at this season has felt inferior to the opposition, um, even against the sides that you'd expect to beat in the Championship. And... That's been a significant for worry for Norwich this whole time. I know David Wagner has spoke about his preference for, to work with a smaller squad, but I think, as you said, his his own ideals and his tactics, as well as that preference to have a smaller squad, doesn't really line up with the signings of five thirty-plus-year-olds um, in the summer transfer window. I know he wanted to address that experience issue, but. First of all, that all comes apart when you see the mentality issues that we've already spoken about today. And secondly, you need a balance. You can't just go out there and, and blame every failing of last season on the lack of leadership in the dressing room or the lack of experience. Um, they still had a good number of 
experienced players in the dressing room last season and there were a significant number of technical failings. It feels to me almost like they've gone out and, and become almost obsessed with one issue in the in the transfer window and not considered what problems might splinter off that and what problems were underlying in the team last season that they haven't addressed this summer. And I think we've seen it before with the recruitment. We've seen years where almost all they talk about is the athleticism and the physical profile of the squad and they don't consider the balance of different players that they might need. And I think the pitfalls of that are, are paying off for Norwich in a negative way now. Um, so, yeah, the squad depth is definitely a problem. We've been talking about this even when they were winning and it's been almost um, a, a problem in the background that was that fans maybe wanted to ignore at the start of the season, but I think everyone was concerned by and now it feels like Norwich are having a major injury crisis, but I think they've got maybe three key players out injured, which isn't a, a huge number um, for a, a club at this time in the season. And yet it feels like they've been dealt a number of, of major blows. So that tells you everything you need to know about the depth in this squad. Um, and they're now looking at months without some of their key players. So Wagner's going to have the have to find the solutions within the same group um, barring Borja Sainz, who's obviously expected to make his first team debut on Wednesday, he's going to have to find the, the solutions within a group that went and lost 6-2 to a promoted side in Plymouth. So um, I think a lot of work for David Wagner to do. Again, we're probably looking at recruitment and the shortcomings for Norwich in that area. Yes, they were limited financially and, of course, the players that are going to be out of contract and available on free transfers are likelier to be those those older players, especially the ones that are going to come to, to Norwich. But equally, there will be signing on fees and significant wages attached to those experienced players that they maybe could have allocated in different ways. And I'm not saying they didn't have to address a mentality issue um, this summer, but I think they probably should have looked at it with a little bit more balance, especially given how contrasting Wagner's ideas seem to be with the recruitment that they've done. So that's where I'd look um, in terms of the blame for that lack of squad depth. But there's not much Norwich can do about it now. And um, Wagner's going to have to have to find the solutions within himself and within his group. And having seen that performance yesterday, looks like that's going to be a, a really, really difficult task. Does David Wagner need to change, Paddy? I, I asked that question because you put a question to him on Friday and it was specifically around the strikers. It was about Ida and Huang. And uh, I mean, we've again, we've discussed on here before how um, obviously, bar, I, I, and just to broaden it out, I don't really buy the whole, they've got loads of injuries because Marcelino Nunez hadn't made a start this season and, and, and he's injured. Sorensen, I'm not sure where he gets into this team given he, he's named Kenny McLean and Gabriel Sarra as the midfield too. So if we're talking about injuries, really, uh, Grant Hanley obviously hasn't been available since Easter, so I, I'm not really he's not being accounted for at the start of the season anyway. So the two we're talking about really are Ashley Barnes and and Josh Sargent. And if if Norwich are at a stage where that two two players are so important to them that you take them out of the team and and, and you get a performance like this, then the whole thing needs questioning anyway. I, I would argue, but. Um, you, you put a question to him, Pat, around the striker specifically about Adam Ida and Huang. And obviously there's been a lot of talk, particularly around Adam Ida and how you know he needs to step up. And I think we've had this conversation before around, well, and I think I might have even mentioned it in the last podcast, that um, it's all very well saying Adam Ida needs to adapt to what Norwich City are, are going to do. And he scored two goals yesterday, by the way. But there also needs to be an element of Norwich City adapting to him as well in order to make it work. 
that now feels like it's probably a little bit pertinent throughout the team. Does David Wagner need to tweak and change what what he's trying to do in in wake of this, in wake of kind of what we've what we've spoken about in the first twenty seven minutes or so of this of this podcast? And more importantly, will he? Yes, and yes, and and I think we saw you know the game was gone four nil down at half time, but um, but what do we see in terms of his response at half time was for sure on, and crucially in terms of this, uh, how do they? deal with the post-sergeant, post-Barnes period, prolonged period, was Gabby Zara released to get further forward and get in contact with Adam Eder and, and principally for Eder's first goal. Lovely ball received on the turn from McLean. His first thought is a progressive pass, slides it through the legs of Adam Eder and, and a not uh, not too shabby finish. Honest, uh, I mean, watched it back, you know, better than I thought in real time. You know, 18 yards out across his body, power, Catches maybe Hazard out the Plymouth keeper with the speed of the execution, but to me, and it, and to be fair to David, you know, on this point that you know, is he too inflexible in his in his approach and and how he would respond to a Barnes and a Sergeant absence for a prolonged period? No, because what we saw in the second half was kind of what he teased a little bit when he was talking about the because there's obviously another dimension to. No sergeant, no bonds. It's not just it's either it's Wang and on we go. It's well, what does that mean for maybe the the, the ten? If you want to uh, attach that label, you, you're a m- most progressive midfielder in the central area, and that link to uh, if it was one up top or, or two up top. Um, and in that framing on on Thursday when we spoke to him, wasn't it? He he mentioned obviously as he would Gibbs, Nunes when fit, but he did throw Gabby Zara in there. So and then he followed that up in practical terms by what we saw in the second half. So no, I'm. I, I don't think he would. He would. I mean, you could argue. Well, well, hold on, but he did start the game with Ida and Huang, and it was a very structured kind of replication of Sergeant and Barnes. But it didn't work. It wasn't working, and his response was to shake it up. Huang came out of the eleven. Forshaw came in. That released Sarah further forward. And um, yeah, I would. I would now. And it's not being wise after the event because you know it was touched on before. We a ball was kicked at home park. But for me now, that's where he needs to go. That's where he needs to go moving forward in terms of with the ball in the forward area, post-sergeant, post-barnes. Needs to be either because Huang was very ineffective. I thought very lightweight, one or two decent technical touches, but he didn't look like a man who was going to uh, wrestle centre-halves and score plenty of goals for me on the evidence of that cameo. So for me, it's Adam Eder and, and it's who you support him with. And the outstanding candidate is Gabby Zara. He... He has the technical ability. He has the instincts to get in forward positions, uh, and he has the quality to score and, and assist. So that then places an onus on Forshaw if it's going to be alongside McLean, and and you would hope with his pedigree and his experience that he can. Now he's got that body of fitness work that he missed out on in the summer with no proper preseason. That he's there, and he, and alongside McLean, they can add the defensive balance to to Sarah being released almost further forward. So, so no, I, I think Wagner is flexible enough that that he will. I mean, he has he has to reflect on what unfolded at Plymouth, and and clearly he'd already done that by half time because he made that change. So I would see a continuation of that process. The bigger concern for me now is again what was visibly underlined is what mm. he does with that defensive unit, and, and it isn't just on the defence when you concede six goals, of course, but you know increasingly now Duffy and Gibson is, is a huge concern I think because um, it wasn't just yesterday you know you could 
going right back to the Hall game, Hall's goal that day was a defensive mix-up from those two. You know, Southampton, there was one or two elements of Southampton's goals you could lay at their door. Um, Rovrum, even though Norwich shouldn't have allowed that ball into the box, Jordan Hugel, should he be getting the run on Duffy and Gibson? So that is a pattern now. It's a concerning pattern. But those two central defenders, for me, um, are vulnerable. And, and teams are switched onto it. You can see the way Hardy bullied them yesterday. And then you've got Azaz around them. Um, you know, you've got Bomber around them. Whitaker, brilliant, brilliant display from him. Um, teams smell blood now. They sense opportunities against Norwich's central defenders. And that's that's a bigger issue because other than Bath into the equation, he hasn't got too much else to play with. Um, Hanley isn't going to be back anytime soon, this side of probably Christmas. So the answers have to come from within. And obviously more broader. Stacey, he increasingly looks a worry to me defensively. What he is, is a very good attacking fullback. But it was interesting, Stephen Schumacher, um, and we haven't really paid any tribute to him and the tactical setup that he put in place. But he talked about, in his post-match, about Stacey, how aggressive, how powerful he is as a runner. You knew this on the other side. And they went with the wing-backs, one of whom was Mumba, to try and pin those two back, to try and nullify them. And after the first 10, 15 minutes or so, they did that pretty successfully. I mean, he also said we went three at the back, Plymouth, to to go longer again, to test for vulnerability. For me, that was a signal into the two centre-backs, but also to bypass maybe what Norwich are good at in midfield with Zara, with McLean, setting the tempo, passing through the thirds. Um, and you have to say, tactically, he got it spot on. Uh, and, um, and that was then obviously compounded and magnified by individual errors from Norwich on and off the park. Um, because I don't think Wagner got his setup right, did he? Clearly, um, Wang and Ida didn't work. But he did react. The game had gone, but he did react. And in terms of now moving this forward, I would be surprised now if when Birmingham comes around and the team news drops at two o'clock on this coming Saturday, it's not Ida and it's not Sergeant further forward. Uh, sorry, Sarge, Sarah, which it was Sergeant. Sarah further forward. But so, so that's a long-winded answer to, yes, I think he is flexible enough, David Wagner, that he will respond. He will accept that something needs to change. But And it bleeds into the last portion of this debate you know has he got the options to change it up too much beyond Bath in the centre of the defence I don't think he has so that's a huge concern for me now moving forward because from Hull onwards they look vulnerable they look vulnerable central defensively and um, and you can mask it and if you're playing well with the ball and, and you're dominating possession and you know we've not even talked about him but John Rowe is, is the John Rowe of the first month and not the last two or three games and Fashnak he's gone missing in the last two or three games you know, if all of that is functioning in middle third and final third, then it masks a little bit those structural issues for me in terms of the centre of their defence. But when it doesn't work in the middle and the forward areas, boy, do they get exposed. And that, in terms of David Wagner and his coaching issues, that for me is a bigger issue. Not the top end of the pitch, I think. I think it's the centre of the defence. Yeah, and uh, I guess that point is um, kind of shown by the opening goal, isn't it? Ben Gibson makes a clearance in the mid midfield. No one picks up on that on that second ball ahead of um, who was it? Was it Edwards who who headed the the ball through or Houghton or Randall? I think Randall. Randall yeah. So so no one no one responds quicker than than a Plymouth player. And I think increasingly to me it feels like when you get the type of game that we saw perhaps in the second half against Stoke, where Norwich are in a deeper block, they're having to clear crosses. It's kind of penalty box defending. Shane Duffy and Ben Gibson are the duo that you want. When you're playing a high line and you're trying to move the ball forward and you're playing an opposition who have quick, powerful, intelligent, creative players, 
I think they kind of get shown up for for what they are. And as we say, that kind of experienced element of that back line looks quite old pretty quickly. And and, and that's the issue that that they have. And, and I guess probably the, the wider issue with 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 that, Sam, is that Danny Bart, who obviously hasn't played a single minute for Norwich City yet, but he is a similar profile of player, isn't it? It's not like they've got some you know young twenty-year-old, maybe one that they sold to Nottingham Forest in, in the backdrop in in the background um, anymore. They, they've kind of got a similar profile of player waiting in the wings, unless of course he then dropped down to someone like Jaden Warner or Emmanuel Adeboyega, which clearly isn't going to happen at this stage. So um, that that would be the concern, wouldn't it? That that those centre back options, he hasn't got too much to to twist with the options that he does have available to him at a first team level. Yeah, I think Grant Hanley maybe I mean, who knows what impact an Achilles injury of that extent does to a player at his at the stage of his career. I think he probably has the most pace in that defensive quartet, if you like, out of all of them by some significant distance and he's shown before to be fair under Daniel Farker that he can work in a, a higher line so that players can go and press but again it's just it's that inconsistency between Wagner's principles and the players that he has at his disposal um, it's not it's not like it was last season and the mitigation that he had in terms of the lack of his own players he had obviously a say in the recruitment this summer and he could have told Stuart Webber that that pace and athleticism was vital in his centre-backs. Of course, when they get an offer for Andrew and Bamadele that they got in the financial situation that they're in, it's very difficult to turn it down. But again, I go back to where those decisions were made in terms of the players that, that they brought in and what attributes they were looking for. So I think it's up to somebody to adapt, whether that's the players, whether that's Stuart Webber, although he can't retroactively go and do that, of course, and whether it, or it's Wagner. I know Paddy obviously feels that he's adaptable enough to, to change things in the attacking department, but he doesn't have a track record really of deviating from his plan when things start going poorly. I think that's why we've seen such a, a streaky track record um, at, at previous clubs, because he has such a, a fixated idea of what he wants to do and such a clear philosophy, as he showed when he, he gave that answer at the press conference, that he's really good at getting it right. And when it it goes right, all the aspects tie together really, really well. But equally, it probably takes a few games for him to accept that, that things need to change um, significantly. And I, I think that's been the situation defensively. It's been an underlying problem for me for a few games, I think as as Paddy outlined, the errors earlier on in the season came as part of some fairly decent results or what looked like decent results at the time. Um, and they sort of were masked in broader performances and you could put put that in as, as maybe there were tactical elements that we weren't spotting and there were strategic things that meant the duo had to be Shane Duffy and Ben Gibson. But obviously you're expecting changes um, this coming weekend. But as you say, the fact that they've only got Danny Bart to bring in, I mean, what what's going to change for me when the personnel can't possibly change the outcome? Tactically, you have to look at doing things differently. And from what we saw in pre-season, we were, we were led to believe almost that this was going to be a season of counter-attacking and maybe it wouldn't have been as attractive to watch as some of the football was earlier on in this season. 
But I think at Plymouth, they would have had better results if they accepted that the home side were going to have possession. If they sat behind the ball and then tried to use the athleticism that they have probably in Eder and in those, you know, in Jonathan Rowe to try and counter, I think they would have um, certainly had a better chance of coming away from, from that game with a result than what they actually did, which was put, you know, 31-year-old um, Shane Duffy, 30-year-old Ben Gibson, who who has always struggled with pace, by the way, even when he arrived at Norwich and had that impressive season, it was clearly um, a pitfall of his game and he was getting exposed for it previously. Why are you using those players in a system that relies so much upon having a, a high line? You know, it's not like... An offside trap has been a key part of their 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 system so far this season. The main function that that high line has is so that they can go and press high, and I don't think that's even been do, been done especially well um, at home park. There have been games at times this season in the first half against Stoke. I thought their pressing was really really good, but yesterday they didn't get it right. They didn't see any of the benefits of having a high line, and they saw all the pitfalls in that. They took that risk that every team that now plays at a high defensive line takes, that teams can go long and find joy. And they got exposed for that very early on. And at 2-0 down, they should have realised that was the problem. But they went and conceded four more, playing exactly the same way with exactly the same defence. And um, I'm not sure I, I do have the same faith that Wagner is adaptable enough to, to deal with the problems especially with the squad at his disposal. But there's, you know, again, it keeps coming back to the fact that they can't really do much about that now. And that's probably why I'm a little bit worried for Norwich at the moment. Um, I don't see how they can really change things, at least this summer after the, the disaster that was the end of the last campaign. They had almost this clean slate of a transfer window and what felt like it could be quite a significant rebuild. Now they've done their rebuild. They've done the work on their squad that they wanted to do. They've got another three months to uh, to wait for a transfer window. Probably not huge amounts of finance to, to do much in that window either. And they've got to somehow muddle through with a team that looks really, really poor at the moment. So that's why I'm, I'm worried. It's not because we've now seen some poor performances and the number of points per game has, has dropped off. It's because I worry that that's going to continue for months and I think David Wagner needs to find a way to address that because he, he hasn't yet. It's a, fun, it's a funny game, isn't it, Pad? Because uh, after the start of the season, Norwich City were being lauded for their recruitment. Now it's now it's kind of uh, the the opposite of that, and it shows how things can can change very quickly. And 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 we we spoke uh, in the team news video, we spoke about it in the car as well. It yesterday felt like a massive game for narrative, and I think so. It's proven probably probably exemplified, obviously by. Uh, and 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 kind of highlighted more never by the the nature of the result. Um, you used the word earlier about crossroads. I mean, there were a lot of people at Norwich City who were on the thinnest of ice anyway, and I think there was a a common consensus actually that it probably wouldn't take much to to turn the mood, to turn the feeling. And it, you're right. This this feels like an absolutely massive point for Norwich City, doesn't it? Because if they can't respond to this, if the picture that Sam has, has painted there does come to fruition. This turns very toxic again, doesn't it? For for want of a better word, for a whole host of people. Equally, if they, if they can go the other way, then and 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 back up this performance and and ensure that it doesn't define them and prove that they're capable of doing all the things that we've spoken about, 
there's still a possibility that that this season can pan out in the way that they hope, which is to to be obviously within the the, the top six of the championship. It's um, I, I think it's 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 a really stark moment, but it feels so significant where they, where they are at this point in time. And I think you've you've touched on that already, um, but it shows how thin the tightrope is that they are walking and have been walking probably since the end of last season, doesn't it? And, and it's probably been been shown and magnified by by the extent of this result, which, as we said, is probably their, their worst result in over a decade. Absolutely, yeah. And it it, it changed, it's changed in the space of 45 minutes because that 45 minutes is, to take McLean's you know, mantra, I mean, David Wagner talked about anger and sorrow and it's embarrassing. It's an embarrassment. You can lose a game of football, but to walk off a pitch at half-time and unfortunately for those Norwich players and coaches to have the, the configuration of home park right the tunnel was right where the away support was so they did have to run the gauntlet but walking off a pitch of as a professional footballer when at this level and you've conceded four goals and the manner of the four goals it's not like they played prime Manchester City was it I mean with the greatest respect to Plymouth it was a team coming off the back or a squad coming off the back of a 4-1 hammering themselves at Bristol a few days earlier a newly promoted team who'd won two of the previous seven, I think. You know, so clearly a team who are adapting to life at a higher level. To, to walk off the pitch four goals down, uh, you know, that is why we are. You know, it, it feels like it's moved from naught to sixty in, a, in a, a rapid process because the body of work overall, even allowing for the Rotherham blip, has been corner turning vibe um and many of the aided by the recruitment aided by a pre-season for david and his coaching staff and, and pelach you sat down with him he's clearly had a positive influence as well um to nuance maybe some of the coaching uh, methods david is his existing team we're looking to implement with this group of players all of that stands the testament of those first few results but you know, you can only measure them now by, as we did at the start of the season, or the, by the first few games and how well everybody was doing, and rightly uh, the praise that came their way. But we're now into a cycle where they've lost three of the last four. And um, however, however you cut it, however unlucky they were, maybe for the Leicester game, for example, to lose that, um, they lost it, and and they've now lost again in embarrassing fashion. Um, they went to Rotherham and. They were run over the top of um, in that first 45 minutes. So, again, that questions for me the the energy, the intensity. Can this group of players, because we don't want just to make this about, you know, players of a certain age bracket, but can this group of players collectively go to those levels of intensity and maintain it? Because if they can't maintain it for more than a game at a time, then it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well for anybody connected with Norwich this season. And we thought, at the very least, that 13th, position was was not going to be something they'd have to revisit that they were they were going to go on and and how better time would tell but certainly it wouldn't be that sad, sad slow kind of nothingness that is the mid-table of the championship but you know given what we saw at Plymouth um that is that now ranges into view in terms of the spectrum of possibilities I, I didn't think it was possible that this group of players under this head coach on the evidence of the first six or seven games could entertain anything outside of the top 10. Um, of course, you lose Barnes, you lose Sargent, and we said it in the car on on the way to the game. It felt, I know, to be fair, we said it on the team news, actually, at home part, that 
it felt already we're in a holding pattern until those two can get back. And and by that, I meant in and around the top six. And then you get Sargent back, you get Barnes back, another window maybe, if the finances are, are there to, to do something. But you can really attack the second half of the season. But on this current trajectory, they're going to be way off the pace um, and too much ground to make up. And then it won't matter. And, and let's be honest, it won't be David Wagner who's at the helm if that's the case, because there was no... There was no internally or externally messaging that uh, we're going for the top two as there was this time last year or or even the top six. I think there was a realism that there was so much hard work needed to, to even get them in the conversation to be in the top six. But they had shown in the first six or seven games that that wasn't unrealistic to be talking about Norwich as a top six grade team. Um, but unfortunately, it's it's headed south in, in fairly alarming fashion. And uh, now it is because the question has to be asked, is is what we saw in the six or seven games at the start of the season, the anomaly, and what we're now getting in terms of the last three or four games, magnified by the first 45 at Plymouth, is that more of the same from the back end of last season? Was was the was it a brief interlude of, of positivity? Um, but actually, the trend is regressive. And it'll only take rolling on. I just had a look there as you were talking, Connor. They've got Birmingham, uh, the next league game. Then they go to Swansea. They go to Coventry. Then a certain Mr. Farker brings a, a rejuvenated Leeds to Car Road. So that's not an easy cycle of games. But they'll need to they'll need to do something pretty dramatic now to turn this around. Otherwise, if the next three or four games that I've just mentioned there go the same way as the last three or four games, we're really in. Um, some negative equity in terms of David Wagner and his viability to continue at the helm. Yeah, because defeats like this bring in, uh, you begin to look back at last season, don't you, as you say there, and, and and the positive runs that he's had. First, when he took over the job, and, and we mentioned there the, the freshness, the newness, the positivity of that. And then you look at the start of this season and the positivity and the newness and the freshness of that. They have been, uh, you know, the, if this run prolongs, have, have been, as you, as you mentioned, the the anomaly, the I can't say that word, the uh, the the bits that are different. So he has to he has to try and prove that. Otherwise, the, the track record does. And as we mentioned before, he was he was walking on the finished device anyway. So it's um it's going to be a really curious period. And we'll come back to Birmingham in just a second. But Sam, it would be remiss of us not to mention the the sixteen hundred. I think it was 1,640 or so Norwich City fans who who made what was a 700-mile, I think, round trip to, to Home Park yesterday. Uh, they were brilliant um, throughout. Um, yeah, they, they, they were, there were portions of them that, that never stopped singing. And I know there's maybe a conflict between exactly what you do in that in that kind of uh, situation when your team's 4-0 down at half-time. They got pelters at half-time. They were booed as they came out um, for the second half, rightly on both accounts, uh, I think. Um, they obviously got some stick as well at the end. But I don't really want to focus on, on them, to be honest. The, the, the fans were tremendous and continue to be tremendous for, for this football club to go to Plymouth which is the longest journey of the season to uh, witness what they witness and you, you tweeted it and quite rightly £92 it was for a match ticket and a coach ticket to then be served up that is is pretty unacceptable so let's let's just have a, a moment of appreciation for those those Norwich City fans right? Yeah I think it's unbelievable not only is it the longest journey that Norwich fans will make this season but it's probably one of the longer journeys in, in the football league that any any set of supporters have to make um, for for any game and when I actually heard the number of tickets they'd sold I was I was absolutely shocked it's an unbelievable effort even from this fan base that continues to 
put up unbelievable numbers and travel unbelievable distances and provide unbelievable support even when things are as difficult as they have been in the last few years. It was still a shock to see that they sold 1,640 tickets um, for that game. As you say, it's you know it's not only about the time commitment and the travel and the tiredness that that will have involved. You know, financially, it's a huge commitment as well for the majority of those fans, um, and they will have had to sit in cars and on coaches and on trains for a long, long time on the way back with very little to, to talk about positively. And it probably was quite a gloomy place to be for anyone attached to, to Norwich City on that, on the way back um, yesterday, I think. I'm glad they got to see a couple of goals, but I can't imagine there were too many fans indulging in lengthy discussions about um, the advantages of Adam Eder finding a, a confident streak as they headed back. So, yeah, you have to absolutely give it to them they've obviously traveled for probably more than 12 hours most of them to be at that game and yet when I spoke to them before the game they seemed very very positive in very good spirits despite having traveled a very long way everyone that I spoke to was was fairly optimistic and felt that Norwich were in a good position to get a result and then yeah they were just unbelievably let down uh, I mean even for even for us, who were obviously paid to be there and weren't part of that that travelling support, we were over in the press press box. Of course, you could still feel that anger and that negative atmosphere around the the club and and the feeling that those fans had. Even when we were surrounded by home fans who were absolutely delighted by their their team's display, it still felt like quite a horrible place to be and an, a shockingly bad situation to witness. So I did feel very much for those fans. I think Chris Gorham made the point to you, which is correct, that although it feels quite strange that there was not as much ferocity at the end of the game as there was at half-time, given they were 4-0 down so early on in the game, that second half is almost just there to process it and to to come to, come to terms with how badly it's gone. I think that's why we didn't see such anger maybe at full-time as, as we did at half-time, but it was quite a, a sight to behold how when the half-time whistle went, there was almost a bit of a surge to get down to the pitch to to have a go at those players. And to be honest, that was what they deserved after a, a first half, after the first half performance they put in. Um, I'm, I rarely criticise sort of hard work and commitment and how much players care because I think that's a bit too easy of a an explanation when things are going wrong and a lot of fans will, will turn to that when it's just technical shortcomings but I completely disagree with David Wagner's assessment post-match that his players tried everything and gave everything I, I think that was the sort of capitulation that fans are, are right to feel let down by and I, I feel very much for them but that's you know you don't want to dwell on the negative when it's very, very largely positive what they've done to get behind the team this season. So it'll be interesting to see where that mood goes um, from here. As you said, it already feels like it's turning quite quickly and Carrow Road might not be quite as much of a, an enjoyable place to be when when we're there, when we're there next on Saturday against Birmingham. Um, but yeah, you have to have to just applaud those efforts because to travel that distance, to pay that amount of money, to be there 
win, lose or draw, it's it's absolutely unbelievable. But again, it shouldn't be any surprise with the um, the lengths this fan base have gone to support this team in recent years. And hopefully at some point they're going to be consistently rewarded because there's not been much to cheer about for the last few years. No, absolutely not. And uh, I, I know the, the club coaches left at half past five in the morning and we saw a few of them arrive just before one o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm sure, um, like us, quite a few of them didn't get back until the early hours of, of Sunday morning. So that's a, a mammoth effort and um, it should never be never be taken for granted by anyone. And one thing is for sure, irrespective of the, the direction that this season goes, they've played their part in trying to make sure that this season was a clean slate and 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 they've played their part in generating what's been a really positive atmosphere so far. And um, they, they deserve tremendous credit for that because there were a lot of fan bases who who wouldn't have done that after the way that last season ended. So uh, it's a testament to, to all of those guys. Paddy, very simple question. I think we can disregard Fulham. We, we know how David Wagner is going to go. I think it's, it's going to be a very young Norwich City side with the exception of a, of a few. It feels like the prospect of a cup run is uh, is is pretty uh, pretty slim, uh, even more so than it is going, having to go to, to Craven Cottage. But I'm sure those young Norwich City players, quite a few of whom I'm sure will be making senior debuts, um, will get the, the the support that they deserve. And I think it's, it's near enough 2,000 tickets they've sold, isn't it, already? So just it feeds into that point on support. So if we shift it on to the Birmingham game, Quite simply, how big a game is that now for for Norwich City? And I'd probably stretch it out further and say for David Wagner. Well, yeah, I mean, with, with Wagner, I, I I don't think I don't think we're in crisis territory in terms of his tenure. We're, we're more more for let's let's say more for for fans feeling towards David David Wagner. Then let's let's rephrase that that question. Yeah, how, I mean, how big is Kind of indivisible, aren't they? If if they're not having him, then they don't want him full stop, do they? So I I no I I think I'm not saying that they put a huge amount of credit in the bank to follow on from the previous discussion with the fans in last season and the positives from the early part of this season, but um, and of course Cara Road quite distinct from you know the vast majority won't have been those unbelievable people who. who trekked down there. So the vast majority of the people's viewing experience who go to Car Road this season is positive. Because up to Leicester, was it three wins? It was two it was three wins on the spin. And then Leicester, who I think will be the standout team, they had a real good go in the second half. So if you're a follower of Norwich City and David Wagner's teams this season at Car Road, um, I don't think you pitch up this Saturday um to Birmingham and and are ready to have a go. Um and get after him or his players because it's been overwhelmingly positive. But but in the context of if it went the other way from in terms of the result this Saturday and, and put Fulham to the side, that would be what, four defeats in five. So is it a must that, win? Are we, are we at that stage? Is it a must win in no, terms no, of uh, for, for the reasons that we spoke about narrative and mood and feeling? Is is it a must win on on those levels? No, no, not a must win because anything can happen, can't it? You know, you can you can batter a team, and uh, if it's John Ruddy and goal, he can have a, a worldie, and the referee and the officials intervene in a negative light. There's elements beyond Norwich's control, but certainly within that result aspect of it, if we see the complete abdication again from individuals on that pitch, if we see a fraying around the edges and a surrender and. Uh, inability to match what other teams are doing in terms of the energy and the athleticism and, the, and the, just the commitment, just to commit to a performance. If what we saw in its worst face at Plymouth 
is replicated in any way, shape, or form against Birmingham, then they will they will be told. There's no doubt about it because you cannot serve that up again because to take Kenny McLean at his lead, you know, it'll linger. But we have to hard work is the only way we get past it, and we have to respond. David Wagner in the days ahead when we speak to him, he will talk about with a view to the Birmingham game. They have to respond. So if we don't get that response, then they will get it. There's absolutely no doubt about it. How big that reaction will be, how negative, how toxic, we can debate that. But it, there's no way that they can serve up the, the poorness of what we saw at Plymouth at Car Road and expect that to be accepted. It won't be. Um, but no, for me, in, whether it's Wagner in, in his status uh, moving forward or whether it's in terms of three points or nothing, no, I, I don't quite see it in those quite as dramatic terms because at Carrow Road this season, forget Plymouth for a moment, forget Rotherham because they both were away from Carrow Road. But at Carrow Road, if you're a Norwich City consumer of football, then you will have been happy with what you've seen this season. So I think that buys them a bit of credit. But, you know, we are now getting back into the sort of the territory that is uncomfortable and and that scrutiny level that, you know, very quickly that it does have to tack back in a positive direction because you cannot ignore, despite them, you know, in that early positive start, feeling like they turned a corner. You cannot, it's not that a million miles away. I mean, they conceded four goals yesterday. That's the, that's so that, that basically happened eight in April, um, which isn't that many months ago, punctuated by summer break. So it's not that far removed from the dross in, in many respects that we saw down the stretch at one win in 11 period. So, People remember that still, you know, it's not enough to to put six or seven games on the table and, and take those other 11 off the, off the table. They are still there. They're still in the background. It's still the same head coach. It's still a lot of the same players. So, no, not, I don't, I, I personally wouldn't frame it in, uh, it's, it's a, a, a defining game for David Wagner or this team or this group of players. But it certainly needs to be something dramatically different for what they served up in the first half, particularly against Plymouth. And if not, Carroll Road will voice their displeasure. I have that I have no doubt whatsoever. Final question of the pod then. Very simple, yes or no. And I'll start with you, Sam. Are Norwich City going to beat Birmingham next weekend? No. Paddy Davitt. It's a long pause. Yeah, well, well only because I'm a, I'm a glass half full rather than Siemens glass half empty. I'm going to say yes, but I, mean, I, I, I that's take a it bit unfair. Point. That I think that's a bit unfair. I've given them credit this season. No, 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 that's fine. I'm very yeah. positive about Kenny McLean all the time. Yeah, I, I haven't forgotten your preseason prediction of 15 for whatever it was. Which if they serve, yeah, if they serve up more of what we saw yesterday, then who knows? But uh, yeah. I, I don't say that. I don't say yes. They will beat Birmingham with any conviction because um, we're discussing this in in the, the darkest of dark shadows of what we saw Kamikaze, to use your phrase at the start, Connor um, at Plymouth. So it's more it's more a, a reflection to what we saw in the previous six or seven games, and can they replicate that? I mean, if they carried on in the same fashion they finished against Leicester at Car Road, then yes, they will beat Birmingham because Birmingham aren't in the same bracket as Leicester as good a season as they've started already, it would appear, from a distance. Um, but, you know, all bets are off for me at the moment uh, be because of the graphically poor nature of what, what unfolded at Plymouth. You know, if as, to repeat what I said, if, if you get beat, the odd goal, and, you know, 
you've just fallen the wrong side of a few margins, then fair enough. Um, but um, but that, by their own measure, was unacceptable, an embarrassment, a shambles. And, uh, you know, it's going to take a hell of a lot of work on the training pitches at Colney this week because I think it's safe to assume that the majority of that 11 who line up against Birmingham, we won't see them at Fulham. So, OK, you've got a clear week now off the pitch, in meetings, um, in analysis, on the pitch. They have to find something, and if they don't, then they won't beat Birmingham. But I'm going to stay positive and say yes, they will. They will. There's enough pride professionally in that group of players and individuals that they will find something from somewhere that is good enough to beat Birmingham at Car Road. What about you, Connor? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think I think they'll win, uh, and I think they'll win quite comfortably as well. So let's let's hope that we're we're not made to eat to eat those words. And to think we've not even had time to discuss any of the good stuff that we wanted to talk about, like Stonehenge or uh, any of any of that good stuff. But we are we are out of time. So thank you very much as ever for listening to the, this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. Probably quite sobering. Um, listen as as you probably would would expect. Um, but yes, it's it's fair to say that Norwich City find themselves at a really really Really, really big and uh, important juncture and how they navigate the next few weeks may well dictate the rest of the mood for the season. I don't think it's a, an understatement to say that. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again very soon. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.